0: Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. Well, hello, Missio Day. It's great to be able to uh, preach to you this morning on our series, Kingdom Citizens. Last week, David Wagner spoke on power and how to interact with power, how to deal with power, how to give away power. Um, And there's so many dynamics to that. Uh, message from last week. Uh, This week, I also have a complicated topic, and I don't think 15 to 20 minutes is really going to do it full justice, but what I hope uh, I can do is kind of prod and and, and prick you and encourage you to consider this and to to begin to come up with a a nuanced approach for how you're going to continue to live as a Christian in the world. Um, In regards to power, I was thinking about what David was writing last week, and um, I do think that the power structures of our society are beginning to change. Now, I'm not uh, a person that believes that we are a Christian nature, a nation, but I do believe that Christians have had a great deal of power in our nation and still do have a great deal of power in our nation even now. But I do believe that that is beginning to shift in certain ways. Um, that power can be seen in a number of different ways, like the his, history of that power. And one example of that is that every single president, I think, throughout history has had to claim some sort of Christian faith um, in order to it's almost like assume that you have to take on this position of Christian faith to be elected as president. And not everyone would, would you know, align themselves with um, Catholicism or evangelicalism or uh, orthodoxy or whatever it may be, the different streams of Christianity, but there needs to be this undercurrent of belief in God, and some adherence to the Christian faith. So that shows the power that Christians have in this nation. I do believe that's beginning to shift, and I think we can see it particularly in places like Chicago and other urban centers of the world where um, Christian voices are beginning to be pushed to the side. And I think that for many Christians, this is like a very nerve-wracking thing. I think we see it even now in this election cycle, that people are very concerned that we're moving away from certain Christian ideals. Now, I'm not saying that's you, I'm not saying that that's me, but this is the reality that we hear over and over again. I think that there is a fear that Christians and Christian influence and Christians in powerful positions will inevitably be pushed to a side or have no influence or even uh, worse be persecuted for um, the the beliefs that that we would hold. Uh, I'm not sure that I agree that that is an inevitable uh, thing coming, but my argument would be today is not so much whether that's true or not true, but in some ways that it doesn't matter as much as we think it matters. That even if that were to happen, Christians and Christianity has always thrived from below. In many ways, the Christian witness is better understood and received coming from the margins instead of the center. So this title, uh, this sermon is titled Demonizing Fools or Faithful Loving Citizens. And the question kind of becomes, how does a Christian interact in the world? Is our job to specifically and primarily to, to, uh, to protest and fight against evil and name evil in our society? Or is it to uh, just live a quiet, peaceful life and love our neighbor as we love ourselves? And I think the last four years has heightened this question. As how are we supposed to interact in the world? How are we supposed to interact with politics? How what are we supposed to do about evil in the world? How are we supposed to address things as uh, neighbors and friends of people that have been mistreated and ostracized? So my first contention, I already uh, alluded to this, is that Christians operate better from the margins. Uh, I think that we can see this, and, and I'm, uh, David spoke about this a little bit, that power can often corrupt people. It can corrupt uh, organizations. It can cor- corrupt society. Um, and so what happens is when uh, Christians have power, uh, it's so enticing. It's so appealing. It's so uh, you know, desirable that we're willing to sacrifice so many of our moral standards to keep power and to keep particular laws enacted that matter most to us. But when you do this, you often ignore the corruption uh, that's, that's maybe going on behind the scenes. Or you vote for a candidate and are able to ignore that candidate's imperfections and, and serious character flaws in other cases. We're often, uh, when we're in power, we're, we refuse to speak truth to power because we want to keep uh, our power. We don't want others to call us out. You make excuses, you compromise things that are most important uh, to the way of Jesus. And I think this desire has a root, uh, desire for power has a root in a lot of different areas. But one that I want to highlight today is a fear. I think fear drives our motivation to hold power and to often push other people to the side. I think so many people, and myself included, are afraid of being marginalized, of being persecuted, of losing something. But fear is just simply not the way of the Christian. And it isn't a good enough reason to fight for power in and of itself because the scriptures are clear that perfect love casts out fear. And when we begin to trust in Jesus, those fears of not having power or maybe losing something, of being marginalized uh, should begin to dissipate. So what I'm trying to say is that that as a baseline, Christians aren't in this for power, but we are primarily in this for the other for our neighbors, for, for the thriving of, of people in the world. And scriptures speak of a number of ways that we can live and be in the world. And today, when we speak about demonizing fools and living, faithful, uh, living as faithful, loving citizens, those things sometimes can be seen as kind of polar opposites the idea of demonizing fools comes from a book by Aubrey uh, Hendricks and he talks about how it is the moral responsibility of Christians of people that love God and follow Jesus to call out evil, to name evil, to call out the idolatry, the, the demons that like essentially oppress and, uh, uh, and hold um, people down and, and keep us from living in a society that is, that is good, that, that is just, that is equal. And so should we be focused more on calling out evil and and fighting and and protesting and all of these things, or should we live quiet, uh, loving, citizen lives? Let's look at the demonizing fools part first. And I think nuance is really important here because I think a couple things can be true at the same time. In my own life, coming to faith in Jesus Christ, I wasn't impacted by someone yelling at me, by someone telling me all the ways in which I'm just like this terrible, awful, horrible person. Now, I know some people actually have responded that way, but I don't think most people for the long term respond to being yelled at. Uh, It doesn't happen uh, very easily when, if we want to change people's hearts, it's just like, telling them all the ways in which they are wrong is probably not going to cultivate this desire to repent and believe. My instinct instead when I'm yelled at is to justify my actions, but more likely it's to get angry and to yell back and to talk about the person that's yelling at me's hypocrisy and their own problems. Secondly, I think that there's this kind of demonizing that that is uh, unhealthy in a lot of ways. And this is kind of like the, the cancel culture reality that we have in our society now, where someone makes a mistake, it could even be years in the past, and we just say that person no longer has a voice, that person no longer, uh, they're, they're canceled. You know, like we're, They're no longer allowed to do the things in the world that they were doing before. Um, and I think that there's some sense where people, when they make mistakes, should certainly face the repercussions of those things. But the mob mentality, in my opinion, doesn't stir grace in people's hearts. To cancel someone would be to remove yourself from the society of sin- sinners and the need for grace and cast people off as irredeemable. There's a phrase in Uptown that a lot of people use. It's uh, some of the people that uh, I know that have done a lot of, uh, you know, things in their life that they would self-admit that are, are not great things. But there, there's a statement that says, but for the grace of God, there go I. And what they mean by that is essentially, like, apart from God, I could see myself doing so many of the things that those other people are doing. I can't tell you how many times I've been driving in a car with somebody else, and they see somebody, you know, stumbling around uh, drunk or, you know, high on drugs or, you um, you know, doing all sorts of other crazy things, acting violent in our neighborhood, and and like the statement reverberates. There, but, but for the grace of God, there go I. And I think that what we do when we cancel other people is we're saying I couldn't do that thing that they're doing. But as a Christian, we recognize that as people that that are, are flawed, that people that are uh, are sinful, that we actually absolutely, absolutely could do many of the things that we are crushing other people for. And that humility and that willingness to admit the reality of our human heart, the reality that, we, that we're caved in on ourselves so often, that we could go and do these things that other people um, that we so angry about is the first place of, of like being able to step into like a forgiving attitude and a place of love for someone else. I think forgiveness can't really happen if you remove yourself from the community of sinners. Grace can't stir people's hearts. But at the same time, as much as I would say that I, I want to caution us about, about how, how effective uh, just, you know, <laughs> the, the idea of, of yelling at someone else and, and exploiting all their sin and this idea of like canceling them as, as individuals and people, I think that there are times for outrage. Anger over injustice is righteous. Anger over the mistreatment of others is holy. You can read the imprecatory psalms, uh, and these psalms are are words about judgment and calamity and curses upon people's enemies and the enemies of Israel, and it is striking. And as a person that is wildly privileged in comparison to the people that wrote those psalms, those verses don't connect to my experience and so I think that what happens is I'm almost offended by their anger. I'm offended by their frustration. I am like blown away that they could say those things about other people. But I, what I realize is that I've never been oppressed like them. I've never experienced persecution like them. I've never experienced the injustices that many of these psalmists are speaking of. So I think that we have to uh, be able to look outside of our experience. And so I say that for like the, kind of the white evangelical culture, a lot of people would say, you just need to live as kind, loving citizens. But I would say, is that really all that Jesus did? Now, there are certain times where Jesus just said, like he he just shut up and he took, you know, he went to the cross and he didn't, you know, he didn't fight back and he he went all the way to his death out of love for other people. But there were times when Jesus was righteously angry where he was was wholly frustrated and outraged by the mistreatment of others. Listen to Jesus in in John 2, uh, uh, what he did in John 2, verses 13 through 16. It says, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others, others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. Jesus calls the Pharisees at one point a broad of vipers, whitewashed tombs, And here Jesus turns over uh, the tables in the temple and calls out the temple systems and structures of economic and spiritual oppression. So we see a Jesus who is absolutely about uh, demonizing evil in the society, demonizing foolish people, people that are hurting other people, people that are mistreating other people. And the other thing I wanted to make clear is I do, what I was saying before when I, when I was talking about yelling and, and calling people, but I'm not talking about protests. I actually think protest is very effective. It certainly works. Evidence abounds that protests can create social change and political changes that are good. And if we are going to faithfully love others, we must be unfailingly prophetic. That is to say that we must bring to light the true identity of the demons that cause the people suffering. Aubrey Hendricks, in his book I alluded to earlier, he writes this, But it is more than important. It is our sacred prophetic duty to identify and call by name the policies, governmental officials, corporate officers, events and developments, and greedy elites that are responsible for the impoverishment of the people. Calling the demon by name is an integral part of our vocation to treat the people's needs as holy. Thus we must call by name every factor, condition, person, or persons that do not treat the people's needs as holy. We must call the demon by its name, evil. So us calling the demon by its name is an undeniable responsibility of those who seek to follow Jesus with their lives. The fact that a hungry child in the land of plenty, that there is a hungry child in the land of plenty is evil. The fact that um, an elder person in our society is facing the twilight years of his or her life without healthcare or secure housing and respectful treatment is not just tragic, that's an evil thing in our context, in our culture. And if we are to follow Jesus, we must call evil by its rightful name. So I think it's vitally important that we understand what we mean by demonizing fools, and that, that is a part of the Christian witness. But I also think that we can, again, go too far. where well, That's all we do, and Jesus calls us at times to, to, to live a life of faithfully loving our neighbors. It doesn't require us to be on the forefront. It doesn't require us to be uh, at the picket lines. It's like the every single day of our life, how are we treating other people? So if we are going to faithfully love other people, if we're going to live lives um, where we faithfully love other citizens of our our nation across the board, I I think that we have to begin with a healthy dose of humility. That we participate in all these ways, not for our own gain, but for the good of others, the thriving of those that have been ostracized or marginalized in our communities Philippians 2, 3 through 8 says this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but to, but each of you to the interests of others. Your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used To his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of his servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. I think that it's really vital for us to recognize that for those that are a Christian, even if we may not are are fully the culprit of this those that are Christians and that have experienced just this like, privilege in the world that we live in have lost a lot of respect in our society. And there's this need for us to earn the right to speak again. And so although we, we, I agree that like, this idea of demonizing fools and calling out evil in the world as Hendricks speaks about, I think that as someone of, of more of a privileged position, we need to have a long track record of listening and loving and kindness and mercy and compassion. I think that instead of maybe our focus being primarily on us speaking, it's our job to lift up the voices of people on the margins and echo their words and statements and being willing to uh, name the demonic that is holding them back in the world. But our primary job is that we aren't, uh, I I guess I should say my fear is that we aren't on track of lifting up those voices, of listening, of learning, of compassion. Just this last week, I was, um, actually, running, and I was running underneath the Lawrence Bridge. And for those of you that maybe haven't been in Uptown before, we have something called Tent City. And Tent City is a place where people live in tents that are, that are homeless. And we have a few friends down there from our church. And one of them pulled me aside when I was running by. And, and she said to me, uh, You know, we just had uh, a church that's been coming down here for uh, years. And the individual came down there and they got into a conversation. Apparently there was a little bit of an argument. And this individual said to them, you guys are hopeless. I have no hope for you. We're giving up on you. You guys will never change. You'll never listen. You'll never do what you need to do. And she described those things with tears in her eyes. And she said, how can you be a follower of Jesus and give up on us? How can you be a follower of Jesus and come down here and and self-righteously kind of condemn us in that way? And I think what my point is, is that I think oftentimes even our faithfully loving one another, our ministry efforts aren't really about the people that we're ministering to, but so that we can get the credit, so that we can look like we're living this particular way, so that we can say that we care about the poor or the other people's lives are changing. And really what we're saying is if you don't change the way that I want you to change or you don't respond to me the way that I want you to respond, then I'm out of here. I'm no longer interested in being part of that. And that's really completely opposed to the way of Jesus. That isn't Philippians 2. That isn't considering other people better than yourself. That's not giving up of, uh, your place of privilege to come and live an incarnational life as Jesus did. It certainly isn't following Jesus. And that speaks to us as individuals, but I think it also speaks to us as like more of a church uh, corporately. I think so often we can get caught up in the church around our our own concerns and our own platforms and our own influence and our own institutions. But what it means to faithfully love people as citizens is we're not trying to preserve Missio de Chicago as an institution. We're trying to have an impact on our community's life and participate in the kingdom of God. The church, universal, Jesus says, is always going to exist, and the gates of hell can't stand against it. If the if the if we don't cry out the gospel, the rocks will do it for God. So I think that it's really vital that we find this, this balance and this, this proper place based on like how we're, uh, our, our role and our, uh, and our calling in society in that period of time to lift up and to echo the voices of those people that are naming evils in our world, that, that are demonizing fools, people that are, are, are like the psalmist is saying, uh, what is happening, what my enemies is doing is not okay with me and it's not okay with God. And at the same time, it's, it's this humility. It's this deep uh, humility to, uh, to love people for a long period of time. Uh, maybe with good results and, and maybe not. Because that's what we're called to in our Christian faith. We're called to faithfully love. We have to work hard to find out this balance. But I believe if we take on the posture of Jesus that of humility, seeking the good of others, considering others better than ourselves and being willing to lose our lives in order to find them, we can be beacons of light in our world and have the opportunity to participate in the renewal of our city and our neighborhoods. Let's pray. God, we ask today that you would help us to see that sometimes... um, we're called to speak up, we're called to speak out, we're called to be courageous, Uh, we're called to uh, use whatever power and influence we have to name evil and to do good. And God, at the very same time, we're supposed to do that, not so that we can gain power, but so that we can lift up other people. And God, at the same time, I believe that we are called to live humble, holy, holy, in loving lives where we faithfully serve and just like Jesus, give up our own lives for the sake of other people? Would you help us to find that balance? Would you help us to not believe that, that writing something on social media is what it means to demonize fools? Would you help us to realize that uh, dropping off a meal, though a good thing, is not what it means by like to fully engage and love our neighbors as you would call us to, that you're calling us into relationships, that you're calling us into friendships, that you're calling us into this deep, um, this deep life of living with other people as faithful citizens of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Pray that you give us as a church the courage to live these things out, Amen. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at misiodeschicago.com.